Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to This Crypto Life, a place where we have and archive great conversations. And in this episode, we're speaking with Rick Party, 2022 National Black Radio Hall of Fame inductee, radio legend, entrepreneur, voice of ESPN's Sports Center. Enjoy this conversation. Welcome, man. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. That was a, that was a great introduction. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you being here. So there are different places that I wanted to uh, start with with your journey. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think uh, when I was thinking about the years and what I've heard from my research, I wanted to go somewhere between 15 and 16 years old. Like what okay. was happening around that particular time with you as we um, share, you know, and hear your journey. 15 and 16. By then, uh, I was a kid living on. Uh, the south side of Chicago and the notorious Inglewood community, um, which was known for uh, gang violence and everything that goes with that. Having to travel to the north side of Chicago, my mom, being an educator, wanted us um, to have a you know better environment rather than what was on the south side. So we traveled 45 minutes to an hour to the north side to you know, what we thought would be better. But everywhere you go in Chicago, there's gang violence. Um, And I got tired, got tired of going to school. And then I stopped. And I would listen to the radio every day and make dedications to my girlfriend who was actually in school. And then one day, the program director at WBMX in Chicago said, hey, man, why are you calling me every single day? Aren't you aren't you young? Aren't you supposed to be in school? And I go. <coughs> Sorry, man, I'm sick. I got a cold. And he said, uh, you've had this cold for a couple of months now. What's going on? Mm. I said, I got kicked out of school. And he said, wow. And that began um, our 40 year friendship. He became my mentor. His name is Earl Boston. Uh, talked me into going back, you know, getting back into school. And by the time I, I found my way to a Chicago Boys and Girls Club that had a, a radio station for kids. That's what I was doing is trying to figure my way out. And the reason why I was able to really leave school is because or not go to school is because that's around the same time my mother and father broke up. So I was a kid just kind of wandering around with no real direction in life. Yeah, uh, that's so- where I was. Now that's uh, thank you for sharing that. So one of the things that I did here, uh, so just to give you a background, a quick thing for for my journey is I struggled with English growing up, right? So mm-hmm. I had to take ESL, and it was part of your journey that was interesting to me. Hearing that uh, you overcame imposter syndrome, uh, can you mm-hmm. like talk to us a little bit about that part of the journey? Yeah, um, you know, growing up, I would. Um I would stutter a lot because I was nervous. Mm. I was nervous because I'd be discovered, you know, because I don't enunciate some words clearly. And and part of the problem was I couldn't really concentrate. I, I wasn't um, teachable at the time because there were so many problems happening in my in my home that I was just so nervous, you know, I'd, I'd be discovered. They'd find out that I was not so smart. That's what I told myself at least. So every time I would open my mouth, something stupid would come out or I say, I, you know, stutter my words. And I still do it today, by the way. Um, I do that 
But then I decided to use that thing that worked against me as my superpower. I said, maybe or or maybe I, I cannot get over this. But what I can do is learn about the one thing that I listened to all day. And that was radio. Like how how these guys are are so perfect when they speak. You know, so I listen to them over and over and I write down what they would say um, word for word. And I really study them. I really dissect everything that they'd say. So for me, that was my my gift. I was a good parrot. And if I could be a good parrot, no one would discover my weakness. And I did that for a very long time. I talked my way to New York City to a morning show and That's, a syndicated show. Wow. Yeah. So I find that really interesting because, um, so during that time, there's a level, um, a, a great amount of loneliness that comes with that. Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. relating to, uh, some of the things that you shared, you know, during that time for me, as I was, you know, trying to figure out, well, how do people speak? I was watching like the family matters, the, uh, different worlds, the who's the boss, the all my children, like all the shows around that time, right. To right. listen, uh, like you said, how are they speaking? So perfectly like, yes, they're acting. Yes. It's a script, but you practiced it enough to get to a place where you've mastered it, even on screen that it seems believable. Right. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think that, uh, for me, that was a, a big thing. And I, and just, you know, what, what you were saying, um, I still feel like I do it now through the different, you know, channels that we listen content to, right? Or right. For, uh, from, mm-hmm. whether that's your radio or YouTube. Do you still feel like you're doing that now? Like as you're even as as accomplished as you are, do you still feel like you're still looking to, you know, the nuance, linguistics, and and things of that nature? I do. I do. I find myself, and and and, and I got to be honest with you. There's only recently. As as even as I coach, you know, students today, I would always say to them, be the very best version of yourself. And that was me saying, work a little harder to sound better. But now I say, I want you to be the purest version of yourself. And that's whomever you are, like whatever your voice sounds like when when you wake up, if you have a stutter. If you may enunciate a word a little differently from someone er- somewhere else because you're from a, a different coast or your dialect is different, embrace that because that's what makes you unique. So, and I, I say that to them because I've learned that through transparency, people truly believe you and they can accept your message a little better. And, and I've, I've learned that Although as, as much as I've practiced, I'm a great script reader. I'm a, you know, I'm a great radio personality, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just, I'm really me. You know, I'm just a guy who's, who's practiced, you know, being a great voiceover guy, a great radio personality. But when you, when you, when you look behind the curtain, it's still me. I just, I've never really changed and I've had to learn to accept me for me. I've had to learn to accept that sometimes I, I may enunciate words uh, a little differently. Sometimes I still may stutter, but it's me. And that's what makes me me. That's what makes people believe me. And when, when, when I don't have to think about how I'm going to give my message, 
that's what makes it so pure. That I'm not thinking about how it comes out. I'm just being myself. Yeah, I I love that. Yeah. So so I was I was preparing. I was you know doing my research as you know you're supposed to do uh, for for these conversations. I thank you so much for even considering it. You know because you could be doing a whole bunch of other things right now. But I'm so mm-hmm. grateful that you've taken the time to do this uh, conversation. So from broadcasting school, right? Or, or right. I should say broadcasting school versus college. Can you talk mm-hmm. to us about, you know, your journey and, and, and those with those two things? I didn't go to college. Um, I was a kid who, who really barely finished high school, to be quite honest with you. I attended um, an alternative school. Uh, it wasn't quite a GED. It was a, a high school equivalency um, certificate or diploma or whatever you want to call it. And it was an alternative school, they called it. And it was a a small group, a community actually put this program together for youth that were troubled in Chicago. And it was a small group of us. And I think it lasted for about two years and there were some extreme educators and, um, they got us through high school, if you will. And, um, but prior to that, it was also a program I was attached to called, it was called jobs for youth, where the, the promise was also to help us get a job and, you know, steer us on the right track. So part of, you know, part of that was, um, you know, learning adulthood, learning, you know, how to manage money, um, that was a, a, tr- a tough transition for me. So there was no, no um, college for me, but I did discover one of those infomercials that promoted, hey, if you like to become a broadcaster, join Columbia School of Broadcasting. Call us right now at 1-888, or I think I don't think 888 numbers existed then. It was 1-800 something, right? And I saw that commercial and I was like, whoa, I've been on this this radio station for kids. I, I think I could really become a real radio broadcaster, right? That's what we called it. So I attended Columbia School of Broadcasting. There was an assessment test. I passed it. Um, I don't know what it, did, what it consisted of, and it would probably had something to do with the voice. And they promised to teach you news and, and um, radio and commercial writing and all sorts of things. And it was very interesting because we do these assignments in this booklet we had and we record them on cassette tape and mailed them to the instructor who was in Burbank, California at the uh, Columbia School of Broadcasting headquarters. So we mailed this cassette snail mail. He get it about in a week or so. And then he mailed it back, you know, the following week and, and he would, critique the uh the assignment hi zurich my real name is zurich that's rick is derived from zurich hi zurich Mm. this is burton richardson um i listened to your assignment it was really great um so let's work on the word king there's a g on the end of it but you keep saying king it's king and so that's what it would then they'd go word for word on how to enunciate you know, words. And that was the assignment. So we perfected speech that way through cassette. And 
what I what I what I learned now as opposed to then is that it prepared me for the way uh, radio personalities were successful then, because today it's a lot different. Um, it's about being, like I said earlier, the purest form of who you are today. Announcers are not welcome, but that lesson in Columbia school of broadcasting that helped me with my voiceover career much later when announcing and promos and trailers were acceptable. Mm, I love that. So would you, absolutely, absolutely. So, so with, with that experience, would you recommend individuals to do uh, the broadcasting route or the college route? What are your thoughts on both routes if you were uh, mentoring someone today? Well, I would always say college. I would always say college because you, you have to have, you know, you, you, you've got to have something to fall back on. You, you go to college and you get a mass uh, communications degree. What, what else, what else are you going to do in life after that? I mean, broadcasting school is going to teach you just broadcasting. It's going to teach you, um, you know, how to run the, how to run the board, how to set up stories, how to prep a show, how to edit, you know, those sorts of things, but you're not going to learn business. You're going to learn how to talk, but you won't, you won't learn business. And for me, um, that was horrible because here you have this kid who attended a broadcasting school, never attended college. And after four mark uh, years of running the Chitlin circuit, and I say that leaving Chicago uh, in 88, uh, going to Wilmington, North Carolina, which was my first paying job to. This is 19 make, years old at this point. Yeah. About 19 years old. Yep. and going to Macon, Georgia, then Charleston, South Carolina, Norfolk, Virginia, Dallas, Texas, uh, Miami, and then Chicago. All of these stations within four years, it prepared me to become the best broadcaster I could possibly be from 19 years old, my first paying job in 19. That's my first paying job. It prepared me for that. But because I didn't go to college, it didn't prepare me for business. Mm. I didn't know what to do with my first like real like check. You know, when I, when I arrived in Chicago and um, in 92, I was leaving. Um, I believe it was Norfolk, Virginia. My salary, I always remember my salaries. They were paying me like $28,000 a year. No, no, it was Miami. They were paying me $38,000 a year and um, Virginia before that. So the program director said, what is it going to take you to get you here to Chicago in 92? I said $50,000. I said $50,000 because my friend Chio, the hitman, uh, who became famous as Z100. Prior to that, we were like young radio personalities trading demo air checks and listening to one another, another you know, iron sharpening iron. He had taken a job in, in uh, San, uh, San Diego at Q106. And he said he got paid $50,000. And I was like, $50,000? What? <laughs> what? Dude, they, wow. So when, when WGCI hired me in Chicago, I said, they said, what is it going to take to get you here? I said, $50,000. And I said, it's so bold. And they're like, I don't know if we can do that. 
So the program director who I actually worked with in Dallas prior to Miami, he said, I don't know if we can do that. Let me talk to the, the uh, general manager. So by then I was thinking of, okay, how can I, how can I really entice them? So I made what's called a video air check. It's a video demo of me doing my remote broadcasts, me inside the, the studio. And then we're talking about the audio plugged into the video. Like you could see me live as if you can hear me and see me live as if, you know, the same way they're doing it today, you know, f- fast forward 30 years, right? Right. You see me live inside the studio and the, the program dir- the director and GM, they were so impressed. They're like, oh my gosh, he called me up. The GM, Marv Dyson, by the way, who's, who's, uh, who's actually nominated uh, to the Radio Hall of Fame this past weekend. He called me up and said, hey man, um, I got your video air check. I love it. He said, so you want $50,000? And I said, yeah. And I said, he said, I got your video air check. He says, you know what? We're going to hire you, you ugly. <laughs> like, That's yes. crazy. <laughs> but he was, he laughed at me. He was being funny. And I was so happy, man. I mean, you know, after leaving Chicago in 88, coming back in 92 to WGCI, the same station where the famous Tom Joyner did the afternoon show and Doug Banks did the morning show. I was the kid coming on after them six to 10 at nighttime. It was a dream come true. But now I got $50,000. Fast forward a couple of years later, I make, you know, $75,000, $100,000 in this, in this short time uh, back in the early nineties by now. But I didn't, I didn't have any business sense. I didn't know what to do with this money. And that's when the problems begin. Mm. So that's why I say college is so important. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So, so being a student of the game, right? So uh, I've been recording podcasts since 09. Uh, I uh-huh. still feel like I'm learning a lot in, in the world of podcasting and, and even broadcasting. Um, how do you look at the industry right now when you see, you know, podcasters coming up in the game? And I know you've done uh, the notebook uh, for yourself as well uh, for some of the content that you've, you've created. So how do you see, you know, this uh, podcasting space uh, from your lens as a, a broadcaster? It's a really beautiful, it's a really beautiful place. Um, a bit overcrowded. Mm. Because people believe when they, they got a, a microphone and a roadcaster and a computer, they're just good to go. But it's so much more than that. Um, people, people love the fact that they could speak freely but they're not really thinking about what they're saying and they don't really understand the power that the microphone has. Like what you say on this thing will last a lifetime. Someone can clip it, they can record it, they can save it and it's going to stay with you forever. Um, And you can change lives with it. Um, There are few people that understand it. And I think those that, that, that understand the power of the microphone definitely can have um, a sure shot career uh, for a lifetime. We're seeing the likes of uh, a Joe Budden, Nicki Minaj, um, you know, the breakfast club, they're getting some great digital dollars from this. Um, There's so many people that understand um, social currency. They understand that um, we live in a time where people are looking 
to, to be mentored. People are looking for new careers. And there are people out there that understand the power of the microphone and they're doing just that and they're doing their homework. Sadly, a lot of people understand that when you have a podcast, just like a radio show, uh, for it to be successful, you just can't hop on. You literally have to prepare. You really, you, you literally have to do your homework. The fact that you, you've already, you, you, you know much more than me than I expected you to know. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, homework is so important if you want to be successful in the, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Andrew, as long as I've, I've done radio, it was only until the pandemic when I had, when I was forced to work from home that I, that I realized, and I tell you this, I, I was lucky to have become so successful in radio for 30 years uh, to that point to get to the uh, pandemic, to understand how important research and pen and paper are when it comes to putting a show together. I have notepads of paper. I prepare diligently. I, 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 I'm a thorough people are sending me stories for the most part, more than likely I've read that story that you're sending me Mm. because I, I just believe in being thorough when it comes to, um, show prep and radio. Yeah, I love that. So, so 19 years old, what was happening between, oh, so I think that was from uh, Chicago to North Carolina, as you mentioned, what, what were some of the lessons learned during that time frame? Chicago to North Carolina. <laughs> this is a funny one that, um, seasons, seasons are different from one coast to another. <laughs> that was a, that was a huge lesson because I'd never traveled, uh, at such a young age. I left Chicago and it was snowing. I arrived in Wilmington, North Carolina, and it was hot outside. And I thought it was the weirdest thing. I thought I I gone through a a, a a a I don't know some time travel tub or something like that. But um, I really learned how tough life was because I was leaving. Um, you know, I was leaving from under my mom's roof, and I didn't I didn't have you know I wasn't under her tutelage anymore. I was um, thrust into radio, uh, paying gig at 19 years old, didn't have a, a pot to piss in, didn't have a dime. My mother was newly married, and I told her that i just gotten a new job after her new husband paid for me uh, to attend the Columbia School of Broadcasting. And when I found this new job, she said he bought my first flight uh, to go to North Carolina. And it was 200 bucks, which was a lot of money. Um, then that I definitely did not have. And the job paid, I don't know, maybe two something an hour, maybe the, the lower threes. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. I didn't have a home. I didn't have a pot to piss in. In fact, I lived with a program director and about three other uh, radio personalities that lived in the same house. So we all lived in the corner of his house and I had to walk to work uh, about two miles back and forth. Um, Barely had a meal to eat. I, you know, for me, a meal was gizzards from Kentucky Fried Chicken for a dollar ninety nine, if I had it, um, and a and a soda that would fill my skinny little belly because at the time, you know, I was still growing. I was five eleven, and I weighed like one thirty five. I lost so much weight because I didn't have a, a good meal to eat, and I was, you know. Uh, walking every day back and forth to work. So the the hardest lessons was just 
you know, really just going into adulthood that it, it's not an easy thing. And, you know, if you if you really want, if you really have the desire to become anything in life, you're going to have to sacrifice. My biggest lesson was to sacrifice. I wanted this so badly that I don't I didn't care if I if I didn't have a meal to eat. I don't care how I got to work. I walked to work. I made no excuses. And then I came home tired and listened to more radio to to find out what the what the greats were doing on the little transistor radio. I could I could pick up Wolfman Jack and I can pick up some Howard Stern and and some other uh, radio personalities that were um, that were local. So I was always a student of the game. So some of my biggest lessons is always become a student of the game. You know, never, you know, never feel that that you're you you've worked so hard. You've you've been so many places that you can't learn anything else. And if you really want it, you have to want it so badly that you could you could taste it. You could taste it. Those are my biggest lessons. Not having a dime, walking to work, not having any money. I wanted it so badly. I don't I don't care what the cost was. I was determined to become uh, a household name a nationwide radio host. Those are my lessons. I love that. So, so the impact of words you shared before and uh, freedom of speech, as I'm thinking about it, isn't free from consequences. And we've seen that play out even recently with some uh, incredible creators and producers that have lost, you know, some, some collaborations or even partnerships because of what they've said. Um, And, you know, different, podcast or, or platforms or what have you. So uh, when you're thinking about that, and, and even right now, for me personally, I'm very mindful of like, especially on social audio platforms like Clubhouse and how mm-hmm. people will take your words and they will, you know, flip it, as you shared before, clip it to make it say something that you never said. And especially if you're connected with brands. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about uh, freedom of speech and FTC regulations and things of that nature and how that can impact your future. Yeah. Um, I, I always say freedom of, of speech, uh, is not necessarily free. There's a, there's a cost for everything that, that you do. You know, when I think about, you know, of course, what, what, what Kanye is going through, um, he can afford it. If you will, he can afford to take that hit. He can afford to take that loss. There's so many things that I want to say. There's so many things I want to talk about, but I have to be mindful because uh, in some respects, I'm still an employee. I work from home you know, I can say that, you know, I, 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 I'm a business owner, but I still have clients. I still work for them. I could say the wrong thing and I could lose it all. Mm-hmm. And, but what's at what cost? I mean, what, why do I have to, why do I have to say it? Why, 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 why is it so important? I mean, if I, if I, feel like, if I feel like I'm standing up, I had to teach, I had to teach myself um, that there are other people there to do the job. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. Why take the chance? You're still uh, an employee, so to speak. You could lose it all. And besides that, I'm a father. And what happens if I, if I say too much, my children won't get fed, I'm going to be jobless. And that makes no sense. 
you know, how about you just write it down? So I do a lot of writing. <laughs> I write my thoughts down and then I, I delete them. Sometimes I, I, um, I, I tread the fence and I, I'll say a little something here or there. It makes me, um, makes me feel a little better. And it gives me, um, it gives me show material. So when I can go back and, you know, be in, in tap with the audience, be in tap into with the audience and what they're talking about. That's a, that's an important part of my job. And that's why sometimes I may straddle the fence a little bit because as a radio personality to connect to the listeners, you, you also have to be the purest form of yourself. They also have to know who you are and what you're thinking rather than uh, you're just giving away $10,000 to the 10th caller or you're playing uh, the newest song. They want to know who they want to know a little bit about you, your, your thoughts. What are your thoughts on social issues? Um, what are your thoughts on relationships? If you're a father, talk, talk about that. Let's, let's make a connection here. So there's a, there's a fine line. And, um, you know, for me, I, I've chose to, to be very careful because for me, I can't, I can't, I can't afford to risk it at all. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized very early on when I started, you know, seeing you on, you know, social audio platforms that you do have a lot to say, but, uh, you make sure you pick your spots on how those things you know, are said or how you present yourself on those platforms. Um, because, um, yeah, I do agree. Like even with some of the things that, uh, some of the companies I'm currently collaborating with now, you know, why would I say something when someone is going to say it still convey what, what I'm thinking and still protect myself and some of the things that I'm building. Right. And I think those things are extremely important. Uh, so, so you are, an African-American in this business. Mm-hmm. What has that been like the last 30 years? For me, it's been, um, I've, all of my dreams have come true. I cannot, I cannot lie. My goal as a teenager was to become famous on the radio. All I've ever wanted when I was a kid was to be heard in my hometown because I was a kid who stuttered. I was a kid who just, I felt like I did not belong because I failed early in school. I felt like I had a point to prove. Um, from the kid who, you know, barely passed school to the kid who became the morning show host at WBLS in New York City having billboards in all five boroughs, being the the anchor of the radio station, the Rick Party morning show, on the very station that Wendy Williams did a live afternoon show. I was their morning man to going home to work at WGCI in Chicago, to becoming the voice of BET for, for nine years to becoming the voice of Sports Center on ESPN today, um, ABC Networks, Cartoon Network, Fox, um, DirecTV. I mean, the list goes on and on. So many I cannot remember. And when I when I think of that, um, I always say to myself, 
I fooled them all. They didn't know that I was the, the stuttering kid who lived with imposter syndrome. I made them believe that I was just like them. I faked it until I made it to the top. Yeah. So what do you struggle with now? These days, are there any struggles that uh, you're trying to overcome in the business? Um, as you shared, great opportunities um, have come your way. Truly blessed. But what are your, some, some of your struggles like these days? Some of my struggles today are keeping is really keeping my, my mouth shut. Mm. Like, I, like, I'm like, there's so much I want to say. Like, I can really relate to Kanye. I can relate to Kanye, but those thoughts, um, I struggle to keep those thoughts in my head and not exactly the things that everyone else says I want to say, but some of those things that people say I may have wanted to say. So the biggest struggle is to keep those things in my head because there's that, um, that uh, I'm going to think about how how a program director in in um, Atlanta called called it. He goes, "You were like the Dennis Rotman of the radio station." He goes, "You were very talented, but you were just wild. I didn't know what you were going to do. Like I just did not know what you were going to do. And sometimes that other person um, would just come out right." This kid who was shy and had imposter syndrome and he's that stuttered. The microphone gave him power, though. It made me believe that I was bigger than that kid. Right. So the problem I had was keeping my mouth shut. And when that program director said to me, and this is one thing that stayed with me forever. And this is why I'm not as outspoken as I, I as I want to be. The program director said to me. When he fired me um, from V103 Atlanta in 96, I was successful. I had the number one afternoon show. I had just uh, arrived in Atlanta uh, from Chicago. Uh, this is, this is pre-Jermaine um, Dupree's career. This is when TLC was hot. Jermaine Dupree, Usher, uh, Halle Berry lived there, Tony Braxton, you name it. I mean... This is when Atlanta was really popping and I was the afternoon guy with the hottest show in the city. And my head was so big that I was out of control and I said whatever I wanted to say. And when I got fired, the program, the general manager said to me, he said, he gave me many reasons why he's firing me. But he said, you and I had the number one ratings. I was beating Clark Howard, too, who was the big money guy who's now on like MSNBC or CNN or something like that. Right. He had an afternoon show talking money. And he said, you. You're very talented, but sometimes you just. You just go blank. You are more than. Um, you, you are more of a liability than an asset. I was like, damn, now mind you, I was bringing millions of dollars to the station and sponsorships, Mm. millions. They wanted to advertise in that radio station because I was the afternoon host. I was the, the black Howard Stern, if you will. 
before Charlemagne was Charlemagne. That was my role in 96. I was that guy, but radio was not ready for something like that then. So when he fired me and he said, you are more of a liability than an asset. When you think about that, right? When you, when you think about that, the station's bringing in millions of dollars, but he, he wants to fire. He rather risk losing that money than keeping me on because I'm going to do something stupid. That's going to cause the station to have a lawsuit. And when he said that, that stuck with me. And two weeks after that, the station in Chicago, WGCI hired me back to do the afternoon show. And the program director said, um, you know, that thing that used to do in Atlanta. And I was like, yeah, he said, don't do that in Chicago. Mm. I was like, wow. They really don't like shock jock style radio. The industry wasn't ready for that in black radio. And that kind of humbled me. And for me, it just made me a good radio personality. You're, you're, you're good at what you do. You know, not, not a guy who, you know, who was a shock jock or, or, you know, you're, you're, you're good at what you do. And that it made me that because I was afraid to be me. I was afraid to be me. I walked, uh, I, 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 I walked a straight line from that point on. No, I was thinking, so where, where, where do these thoughts go? They don't just disappear. Right. So, right. uh, the journaling portion of it, you know, do you record with a voice changer and make sure that that podcast is not necessarily <laughs> tied to you by name or in any way and still say whatever's, cause I, I saw a couple of clips, uh, from some of the podcasts that you've done where they were a quick right. thought on what's happening in the marketplace right now, what's happening, you know, on radio, what's happening in the industry right now, it'll be about three to four minutes. So, but those thoughts are still there. So now what's happening is you're listening to individuals who are, you know, banging quote unquote, you know, on on the social platforms and you're like, okay, so I could see, so it's it's almost like you could see yourself and those individuals that are free to do that with almost no consequences. So like, where do those thoughts go? I live vicariously through them. And, and you've done your homework and with, through something I created called Rick Party's Notebook. Um, that's me with my pen and my paper, um, sharing my thoughts carefully about maybe politics or, or, um, anything that's, that's happening, happening in the community. But I, I walk a, a, a um, I, I try to do it with a conscience, but there's a, there's a um there's that that Dennis Rotman in me, like you said, and I live vicariously through the people I'm listening to on Clubhouse. Like, gosh, I wish I could I wish I could say what I really wanted to say. But I know if I said that, that would um that would cause too much controversy. Mm-hmm. And I don't need that right now. Because I've got people that that respect me for great broadcasting. And and sometimes they say that's not you. In fact, it is me. You just don't know that part of me that exists. You don't you don't know where I've come from. You don't know why I am this way. And I'm also a father. You know, I've got adult children. 
you know, who, who my, I've got a, a very socially conscious couple, socially conscious daughters um, who watch everything I say. And again, sacrifice. I have to be careful with what I say because I don't want to bring bad energy towards them and what they're doing. Honestly believe that if I were to let loose, um, there will be, I really feel. And so this is why I sit diligently living vicariously through these characters on clubhouse. Yeah. And there's some characters on there. (laughs) (laughs) They are wild on there. So uh, almost at the top of the hour, I want to be mindful and respectful of your time. A couple of things I want to touch on before we wrap Uh, the state of broadcasting, leveraging free apps to get the word out. And then of course, NFT talk and, and the metaverse. I definitely want to touch on those things before we wrap. So, and you're, and you're, expertise, your, your wisdom that you've acquired the last 30 plus years or more, uh, leveraging free apps to get the word out. Uh, now we have, you, you have your anchors and we can go down a list of all the apps. Uh, how should individuals think about the great opportunity that we have today? Wow. I mean, you, you own your, your business, you own your thoughts, you own your voice and when you understand the power of the microphone, it is so much more than just uh, having numbers. It's really about what do you what do you now do with the social currency? When you when when you've got a good following on all of these apps, you put those numbers together. If I were you, for these young broadcasters today, I take those numbers, I do a nice little spreadsheet or EPK and present them to. Um, a sponsor and say, Hey, this is what I talk about. This is what I do. Uh, I think we'd be a great fit. These are the demographics. I talk to women between the ages of 18 and 34. Um, they're the number one consumers. Um, let's do business. This is how long they listen to me. These are the days they listen to me and they're impressed. Like, wow, they listen to you this long. And Listen, I always tell people that when it comes to social media, uh, as opposed to uh, versus rather uh, terrestrial radio, which is AM, FM radio, social, when it comes to digital versus terrestrial uh, TV or um, video, it's all the same. Eyes are eyes and ears are ears. People watch television on the phone. People listen to radio on the phone. iHeartRadio is no different from, I don't know, um, digital station 91.7. You know, there's no different. You, you, you listen to the same music on the, sta- on the same phone. And people are button pushers. Now people have the opportunity to, to uh, select whatever they want to listen to. They, they have um, they have the opportunity to um, to create their own playlists through a Spotify or these other streaming apps. Um, they can download their own music. They can they can start their own podcast. They can listen to whomever they want to uh, via search bar. So um, although it's it's uh, it's overcrowded, 
there's a chance for people to to become millionaires. And we're seeing more millionaires than ever today uh, through so many digital platforms, um, through digital currency um, in the metaverse. And when people really understand that eyes are eyes and ears are ears, the sky is the limit. The sky is really the limit. I love that. So thank you for the lead yeah. into the metaverse. What are you doing in the metaverse currently? Uh, what's your take on Web3 and social spaces in that regard? I always say that you have to meet people where they are. Um, and the metaverse is a new space. I always love new frontiers. Um, people run to new. People love new. People love shiny new things. Um and that's and I've and I've understood that from the very beginning, um, since the um, the inception of MySpace and and High Five and and Facebook and all of those people would run from app to app to app, and the metaverse is this new thing where you're immersed in a three dimensional world, and people are all people have all always been. Um, just impressed with three dimensional movies, 3d movies. And this is what the metaverse is. And now you're realizing that, um, you can meet people where they are. And since I teach on the social audio apps, I said, why not do it in the metaverse? I was one of the first to do it back in Oh nine, Oh eight, rather with a, a site I called created called, um, voiceover universe. And that was a social media app. And I had all the greats join like Joe Cipriano, the voice of Fox and CBS and the late great Don LaFontaine, who was the movie voice. He passed away and he joined my site that same year. And he joined my site that year. Uh, He passed also that year. And I was like the black Mark Zuckerberg, like some guy who created some social media app that uh, that put all of these voices together from all over the world, from Hollywood to uh, to, to the UK. Uh, they were just like, it was just amazing how people can come together on one platform. And it was through a, um, a social media platform called Ning, N-I-N-G. And you can create your own social media platform there. And I bought, I bought that and I had a big social platform and I just knew from that moment on, people love new shiny things. And I introduced um, streaming video there with um, an app called Stickcam. And you may remember Ustream. I would stream videos there and they thought that, oh my, who is this guy? Like he's streaming and now he has a social media platform for voice artists. And I was the first to do it on Clubhouse. And then I said, let's meet people where they are. And I did it on the metaverse. I said, you know what? voiceover universe was successful in 08 let's do it let's do voiceover metaverse in the metaverse so i bought um uh, the headset i didn't really know what i was getting myself into but i Mm. have you ever had like um you go to sleep and um you go to sleep with a dream and you wake up with this amazing idea and sometimes you have to like write it write them down Right away. You ever do? Absolutely. Yeah, I did that a lot. And I said, the metaverse, voiceover metaverse. And once I bought the headset and I, 
And people said they're building worlds. And I said, what are worlds? I said, imagine a website, but you're immersed inside of the website. So imagine like you, people can see your house, but you're literally inside the house. Like, so you're saying like, I can create a home that looks like my home or studio or a nightclub. They said, you can create anything you want to. And people were already there um, participating in, in games and they were uh, viewing new worlds. And I said, it would be amazing if I were to create voiceover metaverse. If you can, if people can create a school and a nightclub, I can create um, a studio, a virtual studio. There are already podcasts there. So why not? So that was the inception of uh, voiceover metaverse. I had uh, this dream and I woke up with a great idea. And uh, I met some people in the metaverse and I said, hey, I'm looking for someone uh, who uh, builds worlds. And I said, hey, we do. I said, what are you looking for? I said, something that looks like a, um, a podcast studio. But let me show you a picture of what my home studio looks like. I had the soundproofing on the wall. I had the microphone and the desk and all of that. And the guy looks at it. He goes, oh, we can do this easily. It's about 11 o'clock at night when we, when we spoke and we were in the virtual world. They were actually giving me a tour of the school that they, um, that they made where real life students attend that were home from the, um, the pandemic that, that elected not to go to school. And they have teachers in the metaverse teaching them. So that was just, I was blown away with that already. And it was 11 o'clock at night. I woke up the next morning, 11 o'clock in the daytime. Uh, lady gives me a call and said, your world is complete. I walked into my studio and I saw my virtual studio and I was blown away. I was completely blown away. And from that moment, I visited world to world promoting uh, my voice. And I go in there and I just do different voices. Welcome to, uh, welcome to Soapstone. Or welcome to whatever group, whatever room I was in, I go and do this voice and they'd be, oh my gosh, you should, you should consider doing voiceover. You should, con- you sound like that narrator guy. You sound like the sports guy on ESPN or something. I am that guy. Get out of here. Oh, screw you, man. You're lying. That's cat, dude. Forget it. You're lying. You know, and they could, they threw, they were throwing virtual tomatoes at me and stuff and it, it was crazy. But when they, when they found out that I was really that guy, there was, they were amazed that I said, I I really am um, a voiceover guy. In fact, I have a world called voiceover metaverse. I want you to like it because soon I'm going to be teaching voiceover in the metaverse. And I knew that I couldn't, you know, I'm great at, um, I've done character voice. I've done some of that, but mostly I've done um, commercial promo trailer narration. Um, those are the ones that are in radio imaging. Those are the ones that I'm proficient in. And I, you know, anything that I set my mind to, I, I master it. But one thing that I, I really, really didn't care about character voices. I would always do character voices and prank calls in the radio throughout my career, but never really thought about doing a character voice. I said, who's the one person that I could bring along with me? And I, I thought Elle Michelle. I said, hmm. she, she is the voice master. And not only does she sing, she, she understands the instrument, the voice and what it can do. And you talking about someone who can stretch their voices like elastic. She's the one she plays flute. She plays trumpet. She plays trombone. I mean, she plays everything. 
And she stretches her voice. And I thought she was just, just a, a great addition to what I was doing with voiceover metaverse. And she's just a, she's just a, um, uh, just a beautiful humanitarian who just really understands people. And, um, just, you just, a, just a kindred soul. And I just knew that that would, that, that needs, she needs to be my partner in what I'm doing in, in the metaverse. And so it was born. We launched voiceover metaverse, um, early September and, um, it was a success. It was a huge success. Um, a lady by the name of, uh, Phoenix on, in the metaverse, I, I met her. I had this idea to do voiceover, but I couldn't, I didn't, I, I thought I was thinking too quickly and didn't realize that I couldn't put script in there, like, you know, for people to read. And she goes, oh, that's easy to do. And she created that for me. And she gave me like a little pointer that would allow me to change the pages and stuff. And it was just amazing. And it was born and it's been a huge success. So now we do voiceover metaverse every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern inside an app called horizon worlds um with the with the uh, oculus headset that's awesome so and shout outs yeah. to uh, michelle for sure yeah this this has been a great conversation i i'm honored that you took the time to to come and just share with us i really do appreciate that um a couple of se- selfish things and i'll make them you know quick hits are you using RE320, like which mic do you use? Which board do you have? What's your setup? Okay, my setup right now. So for radio imaging, um, I use my Sennheiser 416 boom microphone. Um, so I can change it up. I can give myself different sounds. I can make my voice deeper. I can make it lighter. I could do a bass roll off. So I use that going into the Apollo Twin, which has its own. Um, processing. And then I also have, that's to my left. And then I also have to my right, my roadcaster. It's the first edition. And I use my roadcaster really with both. Um, in fact, I, if I'm not taking my Apollo on the road with me, I'll take my roadcaster and I'll take, I use my 416 for mostly radio imaging and my, um, my EV RE20, the electric voice microphone. I use that m- mainly for my radio broadcasting because it's not a big booming mic. Um, I wanted to give like a, a really clear broadcasting sound and cosmetically it just looks aesthetically. It looks good on, um, on video. You know, it's that it's one of those podcast mics you've seen on YouTube and maybe Joe Budden's podcast or something like that. So, and it's a, it's, um, it's a classic mic that radio hosts, have used uh, for decades on end, along with, of course, that sure microphone that everyone uses. And that's pretty yeah. much it. So I would even, I would really say to people that if you're not going to use a, the RE20 for broadcasting, I highly recommend the Sennheiser 416. And you can really use it into a roadcaster because I just use my microphone and my roadcaster on the road. And if I want to do any um, any additional processing, I, I record in... Uh, Adobe Audition. So you can, if you want to add any um, post-production in there, like any post-compression or EQ, and you can do it all in there. It's all, it's, it's all, it's all there. These machines are made to give you the sound that you want. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we're, we're wrapping up. I appreciate you so much for taking the time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I touched on before we wrap this conversation? No, you're very thorough. I've, I've got nothing for you. I think the last thing that I can just probably add, if anyone would like to uh, hear and see any of my work, um, you can definitely go to uh, uh, rickparty.tv. Uh, rickparty.tv instead of .com.tv. And of course, .com just has a, a menagerie of mess on it from my radio show and script and all sorts of stuff. But I would say if you want to actually see my work, um, you can go to rickparty.tv. 